Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Hey, everybody, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema here again for another episode of the Real Better Life podcast. What up? Hey, uh, today we're going to be talking about a near and dear topic that is something that every organization, every group of people, regardless of what organization you might be a part of or be leading, this is really, really critical. And it's identifying and upgrading your culture or identifying and, and improving your culture. And this is, this is organization agnostic today. This is going to be for everything from sports teams to businesses to nonprofits to church to military units to really any groupings of people that you work with and that you care about and that you're on a journey with to build something meaningful. And so we're going to dive right in. Rob's going to do an overview of kind of the topic of what we're going to tackle today, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, and we're going to draw a lot of what we're talking about today from one of my all-time, all-time favorite books, Tribal Leadership. There you go. The author is Dave Logan. We're going to tell you this multiple times throughout the episode, but go pick up a copy, whether it's a hard copy you can take notes in, which I would highly recommend. Yep. Or if you're more of an audio person and you listen while you're driving or doing other things, do that. But And we'll have that linked in the, uh, in the description of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. My, my quick plug for this book is this completely changed my business back in 2015 when mm. my mentor, Chris, introduced this to me. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But I think a good launching point for today, and, and um, we were talking about this before we jumped on here, but if we were to pull... 100 people off the street here in Cherry Creek right now and ask them, what is culture? <laughs> yes, that's right. right. I would be really curious how many, how many out of those 100 could really define culture like succinctly, concisely, clearly. Yeah. I would bet it would be less than 10 people. I would totally agree. It's probably less than two. Yep. And people can certainly talk around it. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is we want to give you crystal clear clarity. Mm-hmm on what culture is and uh, that way you know how to identify it exactly like you have to know yeah yeah you have to know how to name it before you can improve it mm -hmm. and then we're going to talk about again i think if you talk to leaders of organizations and you ask them hey how do you how do you improve or how do you upgrade an organization's culture again i think you're going to get a variety of very very different answers and what we want to do is we want to give you again clarity on not only what culture is, but how to actually take your culture and the tribes that you're a part of. Like Dave said, whether the, the tribe is your workplace or your family or your church or your sports team, whatever it is. You can apply this to anything. Yeah. And so let me just give you a couple definitions and then we'll dive in and do a quick overview of the book. But then we want to also spend some time talking about some practical application mm -hmm. of where, you know, Ness and I, you have, you've seen this in your personal life. You've seen this in your business. Same thing. I've seen this in my personal life and in my business. Like, how do you move from stage to stage? So real quick, our definition of culture that we subscribe to, which they lay out in the book, is culture is shared values and a common purpose or a common mission mm. that a group of people work together towards. And we're going to refer to that group of people as tribes because that's what we as humans do is our social unit is the tribe. Mm -hmm. Most tribes will consist of somewhere between... 20 to 150 people. Yep. They can be smaller than that. They're probably not going to be a whole lot larger than that. 
if you want to geek out and go check out Dunbar's number. <laughs> That's it's a right. Really nerdy topic for a different day. Yep. Or the span of control and all that concept. Yep. Yep. So that's what culture is. And if you want to identify where an organization's culture is or where a tribe's culture is, you need to pay attention to two things. One is the language that gets used within that tribe by the individual members. And that language will give you some cues as to what stage that culture is at. And we'll get into the five stages in just a second. The second thing you want to pay attention to is relationships. Yeah. What types and what quality of relationships do you see and observe within that tribe? Right. So I jotted down some quick notes and I want to run through this quick summary and then start to unpack some of this. Right. So culture is the most important determinant of an organization's success. Yeah. Right. And and we're talking about this more specifically through the lens of business today. But mm-hmm. again, you could take it and apply it to anything. So if that's true, and it is, culture is the most important determinant of a business's success, then we can improve our organization and our results by upgrading the culture within that organization, mm-hmm. right? And today, our goal is to help you identify where you're at in your cultural thinking and where your tribe is at in terms of their organizational thinking yeah. and then inspire and challenge you to, to upgrade your tribal culture from wherever it is right now to the next stage. Love that. And by the way, with those notes, I think it's really important that the listeners pay attention to the order that you just said those in, which is identifying your own culture, your your own values, your own purpose, and then moving towards identifying, you know, what the culture of the organization is. Because I think a lot of the people on this podcast are probably leaders within their organization. Right. And so a lot of the a lot of the weather gets determined by you as as the leader. If you're if you're a a leader now or an aspiring leader, a lot of the culture is going to get defined by your beliefs, your values, your purpose, your your mission. Yeah, so I'm glad you touched on that because I was looking at my notes and they're kind of a jumbled mess here. But one of the things I had starred that had pulled my attention that you actually just touched on is, is this John Maxwell concept of the mm-hmm. law of the lid, mm-hmm. which says if you're ranking your own personal leadership ability on a scale of one to 10, yeah. let's say, if you're at a seven you're only going to be able to lead people that are at a seven or below. Probably below. That's right. People that are at a leadership capacity of an eight, nine, 10, they're not going to follow somebody who's a seven. Yep. Right. So just understand that same law of the lid applies from a cultural sense. If you're, as we go through these stages, if you can identify like, oh, I'm at stage three, I'm going to have a hard time leading people that are at stage four because they're not going to follow me. I'm only going to be able to lead other stage three or lower people. Yep, 100%. So let's unpack these five stages real quick. So stage one is defined as the alienated stage. These are people that are just struggling to stay afloat. So this is underprivileged people. These are people who have just been dealt a pretty bad hand in life. And their language is largely characterized by this variant of life sucks. All of it. All of it. It just doesn't, life doesn't work. Yeah. And that's been their experience. And I think it's important for the listeners to know it's, it's not, they view the whole world as life sucks. In other words, hey, I know my life sucks and I know your life sucks too. Yep. Is kind of their viewpoint. That's right. And so they form tribes with other people whose belief is largely life sucks. Yep. Right. So you're talking a lot of gangs. Yep. At this point, stage two is the separated stage. And this is characterized by resigned mediocrity. Mm. So 
So this is mostly tired, disconnected individual performers with very average performance. And their language is largely, my life sucks. Yeah, Life works for some people. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's, it's very much a victim mentality. And this is really interesting. These are, these are people that typically have very average results, very little innovation. Mm-hmm. And it's largely people that live and work for the weekends. Yeah. In other words, oh my gosh, I can't wait until Friday at five yep. so I can get the hell out of here yep. and, and go get my reprieve before I have to come back. That's right. Yeah. Those two stages fall into this category of these are the hostile and apathetic stages, mm-hmm. highly individualized, mm-hmm. right? And then at stage three, you start to see this shift where somebody is not necessarily in the hostile, apathetic category of stage one or stage two, but they're also not yet in the stage four or stage five what they characterize as those are the inspired teamwork yep. stages. Okay. So they're in this weird middle ground and stage three is the personal domination stage. And the language there is I'm great. You're not. Yeah. It's very much survival of the fittest. And these are competitive, ambitious, very career oriented, high achievers, workaholics, like their whole identity is wrapped up in their numbers and their performance. Yep. Right. And they're constantly comparing themselves to other people around them and they're very, they're very cut off from other people that they work with, there you go. right? So, so we use this word a lot in the real estate industry, which is siloed, Yeah, right? You'll see entire organizations where the whole organization is made up of, let's say 50 people or 100 people, but it's a 100 individual siloed people that are largely just doing their own thing. Yeah, lone rangers yep. that are out kind of doing their own thing. That's right. And by the way, as, as you're going through this, probably important also just to uh, have the listeners know None of these stages are, we don't describe these stages judgmentally. We don't describe them demeaningly. They're just stages. That's all they are. And so if you're hearing stage one or two or three and going, oh, that's me. I'm in that stage. That's totally fine. Half the battle is identifying where you're at so that you can then improve and go forward from there. And so if you're identifying with stage three and going, oh, shoot, that's where I'm at. Well, maybe. It depends on whether or not you're even interested in moving to stage four or stage five. But right now, we're just describing the stages themselves with, with really no judgment, no, uh, no prescription as to where you may or may not be. And the second half of the podcast will definitely be a much more focused on for the listeners who do want to move on and who are interested in upgrading their culture. That's right. And something special happens as somebody moves from stage three to stage four. It's called the epiphany. Mm. And I'm going to come back to that, but let's go. Stage four is now we're into the inspired teamwork category. Mm-hmm. Stage four is the stable partnership Got stage. And this is characterized by unified teamwork. And the language is largely some variation of we're great, they're not. Yeah. So you'll see a very cohesive team competing against other teams or other organizations. Yeah, you could think of like the... You know, we just had the NBA finals, and so it's an easy one to, to right. reference. Right. Go Denver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, within the NBA, there's obviously a lot of very high-performing teams. And if you were to ask anybody on those teams, they would probably say, yes, my team is the best. We're awesome. We're great. We, we, we are fantastic. It's all about us. Right. But there's an opposition there because there's other teams that they're intrinsically referencing that are not. Just because they're organized into a team does not mean that they're stage four team. Totally. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's, it's five individuals all doing their own thing, trying, you know, with different agendas. And, and that's the thing is stage four, 
the team is unified because they've, they've identified a common goal. You'll hear us use words like goal, mission, purpose, yep. synonymously, yep. right? When you talk about this, they're united around something that they're trying to accomplish together that's meaningful to them. And then they, the way they do it is they have a very specific way of doing it, the how that they share a lot of these common values, mm-hmm. right? Like, so for us, it's executing tightly, advocating selflessly, and living lightly, Yep. right? So the, it's the way we're going about living out our mission and our vision is really important. And those are things that, that we identified a while back and that have stayed true throughout time as, yeah. as Thrive has grown and evolved, that these are things that are really, really important to us that we would all agree on Yep. And when somebody is out of alignment with those or is not living those out or is incongruent with that, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yep. And that person is either going to need to get in line or move on to a different organization where they have yep. more values in common because otherwise this just isn't going to work. Yeah, right? it becomes clunky. That's right. So one more thing with stage four, you're going to see from a results standpoint that that culture is going to be highly productive, very innovative, and filled with people that are both connected to their work and people that are connected to each other mm-hmm. in really tight relationships. And not, not just one-on-one relationships in these collaborative, smaller teams or what they're going to call in the book, triadic yep. relationships. Just defining, it's basically more than one, more than two. It goes beyond that. Triadic obviously would refer to three, but it yeah. could be four, five, six, seven, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And then stage five is the team stage. And stage four is really the sweet spot because stage five is unsustainable for long periods of time. This is literally world-changing innovation. Yep. There is no competition. So mm-hmm. if in the, in the book they talk about this hospital system that is solidly at stage four and occasionally at stage five, and when they ask this, this tribe who's your competitor? They said, cancer. Yeah. Right? It wasn't other hospital systems. Or, yeah. The clinic down the road or the doctor across town that's or, right. or whatever. Yep. They were, they had superseded that. Mm-hmm. And the implication there was even they, they probably were collaborating with their so-called competitors to share notes and best practices and best ways of doing things to raise the game of the fight against cancer. That's right. You're just, you're, you're so far ahead in your pursuit of this noble purpose, that competition sort of melts away. And that's why the the language of this stage is life is great. Yeah. There is no more competition. We're not comparing us to these other organizations in our field. It's that, you know, it's awesome. We're just here up in the clouds doing amazing world changing stuff. Yeah. So one thing I want to highlight, and then I want to go back and unpack some of this more. You can't skip stages. Yeah. So important. Yeah. And I, And the way I say that is like, hey, I want this to sink in. Yeah. If you identify like stage two kind of sounds like me, uh, have a lot of life sucks language that I use on the regular. I'm going to read, I'm going to read some books and get to stage five quick. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. You got to, you got, you got to go like to get to stage four from stage two, you have to go through the stage three. Like you have to crush the personal domination stage Like you have to actually go prove yourself. Mm Mm-hmm as a legitimate high achiever in whatever field you choose to pursue that in. Yep. And so I think that's... There's no circumventing the path. There's no shortcuts. There's no microwave. There's no order it on Amazon and have it show up to your door the next morning. Yeah. You got to actually 
build it and go through it and be patient with yourself and get the resources and get the people and the knowledge that you need in order to walk the path. Yeah, and, and the word that popped into my head there is there's probably some disappointment for some listeners when they hear that. Like, <laughs> right. oh, damn it, I can't just get to stage four tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, it's actually going to take work. Yeah. There's no app for that. Yeah, and you're gonna need to you're gonna need to change your language, and you're gonna need to change the way you engage relationships, right? So, so from here, while there's lots we could unpack, we both agreed like, hey, I think the biggest impact here is if we can focus more of our time on stage three and stage four, and how yeah. do I make the move from stage three to stage four individually? Yeah, and then perhaps you've made that jump and, and you've had the epiphany, but now you're looking at how do I upgrade my organization's culture from yeah. stage three to stage four? Yep, right, hundred percent. And if you're if you're sitting here listening, going, "Well, shoot, I'm in stage two, so this isn't going to help." It definitely will help because eventually, hopefully, you will get to stage three, and and the content here going from stage three to stage four uh, will help. And all these stages are interconnected, right? They're not necessarily sequential. When I read the book and when I studied this, and I've talked with with you a lot, I I see myself sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I digress. Sometimes I go into stage yes. two and to identify that and go, I don't want to be there. I want to move. So, so it's not linear and it's not permanent. It's kind of circuitous. And, yeah. and then the other thing that I think this is important is you could actually be in stage four from, let's say, an occupational standpoint, but you might be in stage two as a soccer player. Right. And you might be in stage one as a dad or a mom, <laughs> you know, like, I hope not. I mean, I hope not too, but, <laughs> but, but you're right. Yeah. And the important thing is just to identify where are you at, no judgment of where you're at, and then get the resources and the knowledge. And hopefully this, this podcast is one of them to move you forward. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the epiphany for just a moment. And I want to summarize a couple of things that happened without going into too much detail. But in this epiphany, you have somebody who has already established themselves as this competitive, high-achieving, individual performer. Yeah. And, and in our world, if I could just throw this in, yeah. just, just to give people like a visual, if you, if you want to bring that to like an actual person, in, our, in Rob and I's world, that would be in real estate. And again, if you're not in real estate, just fill in the blank with whatever the subject matter is. But in real estate, that would be in the Denver area, somebody who sells, you know, 40 plus homes a year. Yeah. And you can imagine... I was going to say 30 plus, but within that realm. 30 plus, 40 yeah. plus, yeah, somewhere in there. Individual performer, you could imagine going into their office, they're probably on the top of leaderboards, whether that's an actual physical whiteboard with their name written in red ink, or maybe there's some software program that you know ranks realtors and, and they're up there. Or maybe there's like a celebration dinner at the end of the year and they get invited because they're a top performer in the area. That's what top performer, that's what we're talking about in terms of being awesome at your occupation there. Yep. And so here's what happens in this epiphany is somebody realizes one or more of these things, right? Some combination of these. Yep. And, and I want to just read these. They realize that nothing that matters is personal, mm. right? And what I mean by that is we talk a lot about writing a story worth telling. Yes. If the story that you're writing and wanting to tell is all about you, <laughs> <laughs> you'll have one person that buys the book. <laughs> it's not it's you. <laughs> you'll still have people that will buy it, but I just don't know that that's as impactful. Yeah. I just don't know that that's something that people are going to really be interested in hearing around a campfire. Yeah. 20 years from now, it's actually very narcissistic and self-serving and kind of a turnoff. Right. Right. Yep. To a lot of the people around you. 
they also realize stage three has no legacy. And that's the word mm-hmm. I want to keep coming back to mm-hmm. is this epiphany happens when somebody gets to that point where they start feeling that emptiness and that void where they realize like all of this personal achievement is hollow and there's got to be more. Yeah, something else, something bigger, something more. Yeah, and then that's usually where this word legacy starts coming up a lot for yep. somebody in their internal and external dialogue. Yep. They also realize that to win at stage three is to win small. Mm-hmm. They think things like, I now see that I've been a manipulator, not a leader. Mm-hmm. I really got good at practicing techniques and tactics. You know, where it's funny, we, we talk about leadership a lot. Yep. And one of the things that characterizes a great leader is somebody who listens really well, mm-hmm. somebody who asks great questions, somebody who's highly focused on somebody else, not on themselves, right? So, you know, is this, just think back to the, this is the personal domination stage, Yeah. right? So a lot of times somebody at this stage, maybe they're reading for self-improvement, but they're reading on what are some tactics I can add to my arsenal to get people to do what I want them to do or get people to do things that will help me hit my goals, mm-hmm. right? Instead of how can I change yep. to serve people better? That's right. The last couple of things here, you're also going to hear them or you're going to think things like, I'm tired. Isn't there some other game to play? Yes. Yeah. This, this other game actually gets boring from the lack of fulfillment. It's got to be something different. Yep. And the last one is, I see myself through other people's eyes and I don't like what I see. Mm. Right? Mm. So these are the things that are going on for somebody that's going through the epiphany. And then where that typically leads is... There's got to be more typically ends up in a place where they start to identify what that noble purpose is, as they call it in the book, what that, what that mission is, what that calling is. Yep. They start to discover some things about themselves, how they want to serve the world around them and how they want to make an impact outside of just their own personal results. And then they do one of two things. They either go find people that share that same thought process and that same noble purpose, or they find a tribe that's already up and running at stage four that has that and they join that tribe. Yeah. So it's either they form a tribe of their own around that noble purpose and the shared values they've identified for themselves or they go seek one out. And if one exists, they, they jump right into that one. Yep. Right. So what I want to do is I want to go back to 2015 when I first got introduced to this book, didn't understand culture, was definitely operating from a stage three, semi-stage two mm-hmm. standpoint from, sure. from, from a leadership perspective. I had been building my business from a leadership standpoint for, I don't know, two years. Mm-hmm. And that's very much how I thought about it then. I use that intentionally, like my business, because it's funny, we don't, neither one of us really use language like that a lot. No. That was very much my thought process is, right. you'll notice that a lot of people in stage three will use this like, my business, mm-hmm. my team, my company. Yeah, it's a lot of I, me, my. And you'll hear that in the language when people really have, have made the shift. They talk about like we, our business, mm-hmm. the business, right? It's, it's very cohesive and collaborative with other people. Yep. So I remember having a conversation with Chris where I was frustrated literally to the point of tears because I was working my, my butt off and just not getting the results I wanted. We yeah. were growing. Yeah. We were growing on paper. The numbers looked good, but I was miserable. Mm. And I was miserable because what I said to Chris was, I just don't understand. I can't find anybody who wants to work as hard as I want to work. Mm-hmm. I can't get people 
to want their success more than I want it for them. And mm-hmm. it, it was very much like, how do I just get people to do what I want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is hilarious. I can imagine what Chris was thinking. Like, oh, well, <laughs> this, this guy's got a lot of work to do. Um, so he's like, hey, <laughs> hey, man, have you ever heard of this book, Tribal Leadership? <laughs> and I hadn't. And he said, why don't you pick up a copy of that? I think, I think that's going to help a lot. And, yeah. and it did. And then it took, <laughs> it took a couple years worth of work of implementing that stuff. But what really started to change is, is first I saw where I actually was. Yeah. That I was looking at this with this very much like I, me, my kind of language. Mm-hmm. And, and there was an element of like my life as a leader sucks. Mm-hmm. Like I see leadership working for other people, but it doesn't work for me. Yep. And very much like this victim mentality pointing the finger like, well, if they would just do what they were supposed to do, we'd be better. Mm-hmm. Right. If I could just find better people, this would all work out. And um, the reality is, is the problem was me, not other people. And I was, I was attracting a certain kind of person because of the stage that I was at. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to attract the kind of person I wanted to work with because I wasn't where I needed to be at yep. yet. Right. So I'm jumping around a little bit, but what I think what really changed, and I can, I can go into a lot of detail, but I don't want this to drag. Sure. Right? But what happened is I started to realize, oh, I need to sit down And I've never actually done an exercise where I've identified what my core values are, Mm. right? For me. Mm -hmm. And then what are our core values with the people I work with? In the organization. Yeah. What what can we all sit in a room and and if we we just brainstormed everything from from a values or principles standpoint on a whiteboard and then started crossing off the ones that we don't all agree on Mm. and then we narrow it down to a... to a select few, usually they, they say in the book, three to six is ideal. Um, I definitely think less is more yep. when you're talking about core values. And then we didn't have a mission or a vision statement. Mm-hmm. So went to work getting that in place. And again, that was very collaborative. Like, what do we believe in? Where are we going? What are we all excited about accomplishing together? Yep. What is this noble purpose? And that didn't happen overnight. It yeah. wasn't just a meeting. That's Yeah, that's not a... You don't you don't read a white paper, yeah, and then sit down and you know five minutes later have your your core purpose, your mission, your vision, your value, whatever you want to call it. That's right. Yeah. And so that was that was getting together the the core people, the the high producers in the organization at the time, and really hashing through this stuff together, and then spending some time on it individually. Yep. So that I think that's definitely a takeaway is if you haven't gone through and actually defined your values and your noble purpose, and if you haven't done that for the tribe collectively yet. That's the first thing you need to do when you get off of this podcast. Then from there, it was really interesting because because I was at stage two and stage three. Most of the people I worked with in the organization were also at stage two and stage three. So we were largely a stage two, stage three culture. Mm -hmm. We kind of hovered back and forth between the two. And as I moved forward, once we identified what our mission, what our vision, what our core values were, then we incorporated those into our hiring process. Yep. Because it's just funny, man. Like when, when you're scaling a business, like everything rises and falls on leadership. Yep. But, but the, the person or people who are in charge of hiring are going to attract people like them. 100%. And they're going to attract people for certain reasons, intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. And so as we got more clear and more intentional on our culture... And then we started hiring to that culture and identifying 
what is the avatar of the person we're looking for? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah, they share these things and we're listening for that in their language and they really resonate and they get excited and passionate when we talk about that during the interview process. But also, like, what is the DNA of this person? What are the the traits or qualities that all of our top performers have in common? You know, people we want to build a business with. Yeah. And I should say that they're not just good performers, but they're Good performers and they're people we want to build a business with. Yeah, there's there are some top performers that are actually horribly toxic that we ended up needing to part ways with, and yeah. that that's the other thing. As we were bringing people in, and we were we were identifying and hiring higher caliber people that fit what we wanted the business to look like moving into the future. Yes, we had to separate. We had to separate some of the new people coming in from some of the existing top performers so that some of that very unhealthy, toxic, individualized stage two and stage three thinking didn't rub off on them too much because those were the people that they were looking up to. Those were the people that were getting the best results when those people were new. By creating some separation then, yep. like like literally having separate meetings, having those people report directly to me or people that, that I trusted were going to be good influences on them yeah. by having separate conference calls that certain people weren't invited to. Mm. That was really hard. It's really hard because you're you're excluding people that you have history and you do have a relationship with. Sure. It feels it feels pretty crappy sometimes. But that's what was necessary. And then slowly over the course of about 18 months to maybe two years, yeah. things really started to shift. And we grew, we grew like gangbusters during those next few years. It's interesting. I'm sitting here thinking about that, that principle of during that time, what you were doing fundamentally was building the business and swap out business for organization, team, you know, whatever, whatever your, you as a listener, whatever your environment is, but you were building the business for what you wanted it to become, not for what it was. You were building it into the future. Yeah. You were building. Do you remember this? We talked about this months ago. Probably. Um, but it was, uh, talking about recruit, there was an article you shared with me. It was yeah. about recruiting to culture. And it was, don't just recruit to the culture you want. Correct. Because yes. then people are going to walk in and see like what you have right now yep. is inauthentic and disingenuous. And they're like, that's not what we talked about. But don't only recruit to where you are right now today if you eventually want to get to a better place, right? It's like you, you got to go, hey, this is where we're going to. But this is also where we're at right now and we're not perfect and we're working on yeah. A, B, and C. And part of the bet in bringing that person into the organization is that they help you get there. That's right. And they're excited to help you get they're, there. They're, they should be. They should yeah. be challenged and supported to help you get there. That's right. Know? Because they buy into the vision. They buy into the mission. They see that and they go, that's something I want to be a part of and I, and I want to help yep. get there. And then they also, somebody who's going to be a strong like stage three or already stepped to stage four yeah. individual that's joining your organization, they probably appreciate the authenticity and the fact that you're willing to let your guard down and show that you're not perfect and you don't have it all together. Because yeah. that's actually, that's refreshing for a stage three performer. A stage three performer actually has a lot of stress and anxiety because they're constantly feeling like, I have to keep up this facade. I yeah. have to keep proving myself over and over again because... I can never digress. I can never go back. I can never go down. Yeah, this is too much for this episode or it ended up being three hours. But stage three actually comes from a place... And again, everybody has to go through stage three at some point. Yep. Okay, so don't hear this as an indictment. But stage three is where you really 
start dealing, identifying and dealing with your insecurities. Mm. Because oftentimes the strongest stage three performers have some pretty deep insecurities mm-hmm. and, their, and their coping mechanism has been achievement. Yeah, they cover it up or compensate the, the misgivings, yeah. the, the shortcomings yeah, through well, like being on the top of the leaderboard, being yeah, number one, being... That's right. Here, here's a great example, right? Maybe growing up, the messaging you received or the way you, you received internalized how you grew up was, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I have to do things to earn love from... Mm-hmm my parents or from get their attention somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And then you learn that achievement is the thing that gets you love. So then your whole life, you're constantly struggling with this, this narrative of I'm not good enough yep. and your achievement and your numbers and your trips and your bonuses and how much money you make and what car you drive and what watch you're wearing. And all of that is a response to trying to fill this void and prove to everybody around you and really to prove to yourself I am good enough. Don't you see all of this stuff? Which is why it ends in exhaustion and I'm tired. Isn't there a different game to play? Yeah. Which, you know, some of those attributes that you were talking about earlier. That's right. Yeah. Where to move to stage four, you have to let some of that go yep. and realize, which again, I can't, I can't even go down that road because we're going to get, we're going to get too deep. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. So much we can talk yeah. about there. <laughs> just going to stop. But they talk about this in the book that as you hear that story, right? And again, I could get even more specific, but I I don't know that that's really what's going to be most helpful. But you hear, we really started to work on how people in the business were relating to each other. Mm -hmm. Where before it was this very, like lots of one-on-one relationships with lots of of gossiping and Mm -hmm. talking behind people's backs and complaining and Mm -hmm. they should do this. This is classic when on another episode that we, that we have, posted, which is moving from boutique to corporate. Yes. And if you haven't listened to that yet, I would love for you to listen to it. But even if you don't, what you just described is very common when any organization is moving from boutique to, let's just call it at scale, whether that's a faith community like a church or a team of some kind or whatever. And the dichotomy becomes the they and us becomes one of two things. It either becomes the leadership versus the non-leadership yep. or it becomes the old school versus the new school yeah. kind, of, kind of thing. I've also seen it show up a lot in sales versus operations. Yes, that's another one that it becomes toxic where the communication is, is dyadic, not triadic. Yes. And the, and the dyad is usually within your own group. That's right. It's never that group versus the other group and the two people get together and go, let's hash it out and talk about it and be open you know, and connected and, and be more aligned. That's right. It's usually one group of people forming and creating their own narrative and then reinforcing that narrative with what they see rather than actually being curious about what's going on with the other group. That's right. And that goes both ways. Leadership can get, I've, I've seen leadership get uh, very suspicious mm-hmm. of, of the folks that they get to lead. Yeah. They get very suspicious and threatened by them instead of going, I don't know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Let's sit down, have conversations, have deep, meaningful, see if we can get on this, on the same page. So that's, yeah. it's Even, interesting that you bring it up because we see that when any organization is going boutique to corporate, that is a huge threat. Even recently, we noticed that Tracy pointed this out to us. She's like, we have a lot of, even, even just within the leadership team, there's a lot of siloed conversations happening. Yeah. 
right? 100%. This person is talking with this person, and then person A is talking with person C, and then person B is talking with person C. Yep. But you're not getting A, B, and C all in a room together talking about the same thing at the same time. Yep. And, and some of that is hard, right? Like, not everybody wants to sit on your back porch and sit bourbon with us. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would. Yeah. It's an open invite. <laughs> um, but we realized, like, that was happening more than we wanted it to. Yeah. And so we we then changed some things and and adapted and put a meeting in place specifically where we got all the department heads together so yep. that we could constantly be talking about the same high-level objectives collaboratively and cohesively rather than having the same conversation five different times with five different people. From five different perspectives. Yeah, totally. With limited knowledge, with limited yeah. peripheral vision. Yep, yep. yep. So that's, that's really good. So here, moving from stage three to stage four, you have to go from these dyadic, one-on-one, self-interested Siloed relationships, yep, yep. Siloed relationships to these collaborative small teams, like tribes within tribes, mm-hmm. essentially. You also want to start to pair up. If you're at a, like a stage two to stage three culture, you can pull more of your stage two performers up to stage three by mm-hmm. getting stage two people to hang out with stage three people in one-on-one relationships. See those differences. Yeah, you can get stage three people to collaborate with a group that includes some stage four mm-hmm. people or stage four thinkers. Mm-hmm. And stage four is really characterized by more and more of these triadic relationships, Yeah, right? So key point in the book there is the relationships. And then, and then one other thing is we really, really worked hard on our language within the organization from the years of like, well, from 2015 on, um, but really from like 2015 to about 2018, mm. where we tried to eradicate stuff like my team. Mm-hmm. Hey, I talked to my team and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's it's our team talked mm-hmm. or we talked, mm-hmm. right? Or I talked, with, I talked with our team members. Yeah. I didn't even talk with my team members. I yeah. talked with our team members where it's a proclamation of the community. Yeah. The, it's a proclamation. It's a, it's a proclamation of the connectedness there you go. of the people you work with rather than seeing them as pawns. My team sounds like pawns that are out to do what I want them to do or, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, I want to help you be successful so I can be fulfilled. Yep. Right. Where your success is actually not about you being successful. It's for me trying to get a certain feeling out of it. You know, there's, there's a gray area there. Right. So just pay attention to that. If you hear me talking about that, just pay attention to your language over the course of the next few days or the next week. Yep. Are you using a lot of I, me, my language? And where can you start using more of we, our, us yep. type of language? Love that. I feel like I'm looking at your face and you're going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I always have something to say. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just listening in and, and reflecting on my own journey, really, as I hear yours. And yeah. I've heard yours, of course, lot and I love it and uh, and so I'm I'm putting pieces together on my own mind so if you're if you're seeing any kind of calculation going on in my head <laughs> I knew so, I knew something was my going face. on in there <laughs> yeah it's because I'm going oh man yeah I I've got these instances along my own journey and along my own path that um, I didn't even know were happening that was unconscious unconscious incompetency going on there <laughs> that those changes were happening yeah and and now they're just you know I'm rehashing those in my own mind which is really powerful so is there a story or a moment that you're remembering back to right now? Yeah, there's... Because the one, when I think of you, I think of the story you shared on one of our previous episodes about being at the Starbucks on Fillmore and Second. Oh yeah, walking back. And, yeah. and I think you actually, in that episode, used the word epiphany. If I didn't, it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, that was definitely one for anyone who didn't listen to that. That was several years ago. It was probably seven, eight years ago, something like that. When I when I did have the very deep realization that I'm not passionate about what I'm doing, but I'm passionate about who I do it with and and how I do it. Something was definitely missing. Yeah, it was a huge, huge chunk missing. But even more specifically than that, which is pretty specific, that was a, definitely a, a stage three to stage four kind of moment for me. There was also a moment, I was at a different company, it didn't even, had Thrive hadn't even begun yet. And the moment was <laughs> selling 54 homes in a year and it was 3 a.m. and I was in my office at my home and, and my wife was pregnant with our second. And she waddled in, looks at me at 3 a.m. because she realized I wasn't asleep you know, in bed with her. She waddles in and goes, hey, the money is great, but this sucks. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> it's just like... That's rough. Uh, <laughs> and I immediately knew she was right. I immediately knew that, you know, she didn't have to say it. I knew that that was the case. Because, and there was that moment of realization of this top performer thing, and in our market, that is certainly top performing, is not fulfilling anymore. I've reached heights. I've done, I've done a lot. I've checked boxes. I've beaten my competitors. I've put myself on the scoreboard, which was funny because there was no scoreboard. I was an independent agent. Right, <laughs> so, right. so I was always on the top, no matter if I sold two homes or 50, right? But... But it was constantly like moving up the up the ladder. You know, I'd go from, I sold 20 homes, let me get to 30, let me get to 40. I sold 40, let me get to 50. What would it look like at 60? And you could have kept you could have kept going from 60 to 70, 70 to 80, 80 to 100. Absolutely. And on and on and on and yeah. on. But I reference back to when we talked about the epiphany. One of the things in the epiphany is, I'm tired. Isn't there some other game to play? Yeah. And you were at that point then, it sounds like, where... I was at that point. You I, didn't want to keep playing that game. Correct. You were interested in something else. And would you say you knew what something else was? Or you're just like, I don't know what it is, but I know that this isn't working for me anymore. I really didn't know what it was at that point. And by the way, I want to pause and say, if there are agents listening to this and going, yeah, see, like, you know, becoming a top producer is great, but you have to sacrifice your life. You don't. I didn't do it right. You don't. Yeah, that's an important distinction. There's a huge, there's a huge miss that I made out of fear, out of selfishness, out of narcissism, in not building a structure around me with talented, committed, cool people that could help me. And so that path, just as an aside, that path to top producer, aside from stage three and stage four, is absolutely doable in a healthy way. I don't want to communicate that, you know, hey, once you start selling top producing in real estate, then your life sucks and your wife's going to tell you. So that's that's not true. That's absolutely not true. What is true is I was being selfish and narcissistic with my resources and, and not realizing there's a better way to be a top producer. Well, right. So, oh, that, so that's just, important. Yeah, you just hit on something so important there. I, I want to I pause on that. Because one of the things that if you're listening to this, and I know we're going to have people listening to this that are at stage four, they've already been through the epiphany. Yeah. And as you're looking at people you work with, you probably have their names or face in mind right now. <laughs> people you work with where you're like, oh, dude, they're so, they're so stuck in stage three yeah. right now. One of the things you can really help them with, because think about what somebody at stage three values. It's mm. results. It's results. Performance. Yeah. When you help somebody at stage three realize 
that you actually get better results in stage four than you do in stage three, mm-hmm. that can really help trigger that epiphany Yes, for that person. Yeah, well said. Right? Yeah. And I didn't want people to miss that because you said that, but it was a little more indirectly. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, you get, you get to open the door to even better results in stage four that are collaborative, that are, they le- you lean on people for it. And, and there's a lot of gratification in that in a big way. That's right. And you think about, you think about somebody like, you know, how often we talk about, and, and, and I hope we do a good job telling her, but like, you know, we work with Tracy and we're always like, oh, thank God, Tracy is so good at the things that we're bad at or, yes. you know, just that, that just suck all of our energy. And that's something that gives her a lot of joy. And so, yeah. so much fun working together, like in mission, in, in collaboration with each other. And, you know, Rebecca has been that way yep. for a number of years. And I don't want to start listing names and then leave somebody out and then their feelings get hurt. <laughs> right. right. But a lot, a uh, lot of really, really, really awesome people. Yeah. No pre- you know, previously like Missy was that person sure. for me, right. Yep. Where it's like, it's amazing when you're in a stage four or let's face it, people aren't normally in a pure stage four team. It's right. a team that largely operates in a stage four space, but it, but still has some stage three people and some stage three remnants and some stage three language and thinking like, that's okay. It's it doesn't, not linear. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, but, but when you get a collaborative team where you're all united around a mission and the ego really starts to subside, yeah. the individual ego starts to subside and you can really start to lean on each other yeah. and be honest with each other and be vulnerable about, hey, I'm really having a hard time with this. Or I, I, got, I got to tell you the truth. I... I do this because I have to, but I hate doing it. Yeah. Right. Or when people feel like they can come give you feedback. Yeah. Because you're approachable and humble enough for them to tell you some things that mm-hmm. might be hard to hear, but they trust that, you know, they're not going to get a, a nuclear bomb tossed their way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if, they, if they tell you something that makes you upset. Right. So how far apart was that moment at 3 a.m. in your office from the Starbucks on Fillmore experience? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, it was probably, Probably four, three, four years, something like that. Wow, is that long? It was pretty. Yeah, okay. it was, there was a gap there for sure. There was a lot of uh, navigating that and figuring out what I could change, what I could do to continue in stage three. Really, is what I was trying to do. Well, right, and to I, support I think, it. And I think back to what if I had handed you a copy of Tribal Leadership back then? Yeah, and you had become aware of some of this sooner. Yeah, I think about it. Would have fast forwarded. What if Chris had not recommended that book in 2015? Who knows how long it would have taken to right. figure some of that stuff out? Who knows yeah. if I ever would have figured it out? So It's big. You, you mentioned something earlier that was a specific turning point for me. And that, that is, you said, usually in stage three, people, when they have the epiphany, mm-hmm. they will either build it or join it. In other words, they'll either build an organization themselves that is a stage four organization. By looking, by looking for other, yep. other, other individuals who are also... Who are moving in that direction or who already have it. That's right. I was going to say, they don't have to be at stage four, but they're moving in that direction. And the thing they do have to have is they really have to buy into the purpose or the mission, whatever you want to call that. And they have to buy into the shared values. There's got to be a lot of overlap between the way they think and the way they operate from a principle standpoint or a core philosophy standpoint and the way you think and operate. So Thrive, Thrive Real Estate Group was kind of born out of that. Out of that yeah. in a big way. So because beautiful. I did look for it. I joined five different brokerages before starting Thrive. I really, people, it's funny, people always ask like, or, or, or they say, uh, so, you know, when did you start dreaming about Thrive? Or was it a childhood dream to run your own brokerage or whatever? It wasn't even a childhood dream for me to become a real estate agent, <laughs> like, <laughs> let alone start a company. And so, um, 
I did. I searched for it and I'm not going to name names, but I was at five very well-known brokerages. And yeah, every single time it was, it was funny. Every single time I became a top performer at any of these companies, when I asked the question and it was like a direct question to, you know, managing broker, broker owner, president of the company, whatever. I'd ask the question, Hey, I'm here in sales, whether that's 20 or 30 or whatever. And what else could I do here? What, what other contributions could I make? What other impacts could I have? What other people could I get, you know, associated with poking and kind of prodding for some type of leadership or mentor or impact or something? And the answer was always the same. Always. It was, yeah, just sell more homes. Right. That was the answer. Sell more homes. And in essence, when looking back, now that I have this framework and this language from the book and from you, they were basically saying, yeah, just stay in stage three. Right. We don't want you in stage we, four. We, yeah, we need your performance. We want you, we just want you to yeah. stay in stage three. And, and to someone who's had the epiphany, to tell them to stay in stage three, A, is not fair. And B, I'm going to say is almost like subversively just really harmful it is. To, to that human, that's to, a, to that individual. That's right. And this is where we get into the episode we did on the support challenge matrix. Yes. And you talk about, you know, some of the different quadrants of culture mm-hmm. and that type of culture you're describing is definitely a very stage three type of culture. Yes. Very competitive, very guarded, very, uh, the individuals within there that are in leadership are very threatened. Yep. Right. But it also goes back to, you know, that, that support challenge matrix. It's, it's really not about helping you become your best. Mm. It's really not about liberating you. It's about, hey, we value profit over people or we value the bottom line over mm. personal growth or internal growth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, it's just, there, there's a conflict of values there. Yeah. Right? And it's funny how much these start to overlap then, this support challenge matrix and you know, high support, high challenge, you yep. know, or vice versa. And then also these cultural stages and language and the relationships around those, right? And so one of the reasons that we're really passionate about this is because we've we've seen experientially how uncommon it is in the fields that we've worked in over the last couple of decades. Yeah. How uncommon it is to find tribes of people that really do value people over profit, mm-hmm. right? Or they value the mission over the bottom line mm-hmm. where they've really identified a common cause and shared values and they play to that identity rather than let's just get as many talented people as possible and throw as much revenue on the books as we possibly can. And you just, you see it in sports, you see it in real estate, you see it in insurance. You know, and I talk about sports, we go back to the NBA. There's a lot of NBA teams that have unbelievably talented individuals. Individual players. Sure. That's right. But they're not working together. They don't have the same values and it is a, it is a chaotic yeah, mess. They just never end up reaching their full potential. A great example of this, by the way, and we could link this too in the in the notes. But uh, if you haven't watched The Last Dance yet on Netflix with the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and just the whole that whole Bulls team is just that is absolutely moving from a stage three to a stage four to really a stage five in, in some ways. And they're not going to talk about stage three, four, and five. They're not going to talk about tribal leadership. But if you watch that, sit back with a bucket of popcorn and watch that. And you'll see and hear as they interview Michael Jordan and Pippen and all those guys, you'll hear this language. Yeah, You'll hear this, this kind of, you know, I was amazing. Michael Jordan was already amazing, obviously. And so were the rest of them. But when they really decided on a, on a common purpose, on a common direction, who they wanted to be known as, when they started to collaborate together, 
beyond just I'm great, that's when the magic went off. And now it's known as, you know, the best franchise in history in the NBA. And it probably always will be. That's right. That's right. A couple closing thoughts and then shall we put in some practical application? Yeah, I love it. Let's do it. Cool. So one, one thing I wrote down that I wanted to make sure we highlighted is that as you're moving through the various stages, especially like getting to stage four and then really solidifying at stage four, because you can get to stage four and slide right back to stage three if you're 100%. not careful. Yeah. I wrote down encourage relationship building because strong relationships make a strong tribe. Mm. And you need to recognize and know your peers in order to get the support that you need and for them to get the support that they need from, from mm-hmm. you and from each other. Right. So look at what are ways that you can create that within your organization that are maybe lacking right now. It's huge. So one of the ones we put into place that, um, that I shared with you from, you know, we had done this in the past and we recently implemented this at Thrive is, is having a small eight, 10, 12 person call that happens every week. Yes. Conference call, not Zoom meeting. <laughs> Um, do they still do those anymore? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> we both have this deep love for conference calls, and um, you do not need to see each other. You yeah, do need to hear each other. Zoom is exhausting. <laughs> Check we, out freeconferencecall.com, By the way, yeah, there we, you go. We also happen to be, be people that like to move while we talk. Exactly. So being in one place is really, really hard. Yeah. But yeah, this call, whatever you want to call it, you know, for now until we think of a, a better, catchier name, we're we're just calling it a mastermind. It's a mastermind. Call. Yeah. Yeah. And um. You know, we've also worked on this. This is not a new idea within the real estate industry, but strategy groups yep. is maybe another tactic that you could use. But it's this idea of getting a small group of people that are at roughly the same place in their career evolution, yep. roughly the same place in performance, mm-hmm. roughly the same place in terms of mindset, thinking, language. And it's getting those people together and creating this space Every week, like for us, it's Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. with this, this group we just put this into place with, yep. where we get on and we have, we have what we call an advisor of the week. Yep. And that person gets on and they share with their peers three things. One is they talk for a little bit about just how's life going mm. outside of work. Mm-hmm. And it gives people a chance to get to know that person on a more personal level, their family, their kids, if they have kids, their mm-hmm. pets, if they have pets. What are they into? What really, you know, what recharges them when they're not working? Recreation, whatever. So you get to know somebody deeper on a personal level. Then they talk about what's going really well for you right now in your business. Mm. And then they share two or three things that hopefully help other people on the the call learn and grow from. And there's a chance to ask questions and take notes on that. And you get to, you get to steal this goodness from somebody else, you know, who's one of your peers. And then the third thing is what is one thing that you need help with? or one thing you're struggling with, or one thing that you need encouragement or advice on. It's awesome. Right now. So it's like you get, everybody on the call hopefully gets to get something from the call. Yeah. And gets to give something on the call. So yeah, it's an exchange. Yeah. Whether you're the the, the featured speaker that week or not. So Love that. that's just one like really simple, really tactical, practical idea that you can put into place starting tomorrow. That's a good segue into this. I got three takeaways. As you look to upgrade your cultural thinking. And as you look to upgrade the culture of your thrive, number one is you got to really start paying attention to the language and the relationships that you use or that you engage in, as well as the language and relationships going on in the the tribes that you're a part of. And I'll I'll say this real quick on that. Mm -hmm. The easier of the two, the one that's more apparent, the one that's more readily observable is is the language. And so when Rob says, watch the language, 
maybe even as you're listening to this or later tonight, whenever, write down on a sticky note, just a good old-fashioned sticky note, I slash me on one uh, side of the sticky note, and then we slash us on the other side of the sticky note. Just put it on your your car dashboard or your mirror and just listen for that as people are talking. Yeah. And and just see which which how much they're talking about I versus me. Car dashboard or mirror, you probably actually want to just like tape it to the back of your phone. Oh, there you and, go. And you can tally. I, I like where you're going with that. Yeah. Like you can actually like keep score throughout yeah. the course of a day. Yeah, totally. And again, it's there's no indictment. It's just, oh, okay, got it. So that person is probably in stage three. But that'll help at least identify where you and where you're where the people that you get to lead are. And it's all about finding out where you are first before starting the journey. Yeah, which by the way, one caveat is as you're going through this, don't don't go to people and say, hey, I really noticed that you're at stage two. You use a lot of, <laughs> that is not going to go well. That's not going to go that well. That is not going to win friends and influence people, <laughs> right? So keep that to yourself. But there, go, please, 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 go pick up a copy of the book, Yeah, right? Because yeah. they're going to We're skimming into, the surface here. Yeah, they're going to dig into some really, really, tangible like, hey, here's three ideas that you can do to help somebody that's at stage two yeah. in your organization move to stage three. It's awesome. And that doesn't need to be you calling them out or confronting them or making them feel bad about themselves. You can do a lot of these implementation things mm-hmm. without them even really knowing what's going on and not making them feel used or manipulated, yep. right? Because you don't, you don't want to put people in a box and you definitely don't want to embarrass them. But you can, you can hear, you can hear the language 100%. as it's being used. So then number two, and this is probably the most important one. Uh, I referenced this earlier. Sit down with a piece of paper. And if you haven't really mapped out your core values Mm -hmm. and your mission or your noble purpose, as they reference it in the book, you need to start spending some time on that or continue spending time on that if you've already embarked on that journey. The best resource, not that this is the only one, it's just my favorite one, is if you go pick up a copy of a book called Dare to Lead yep. by Brene Brown. Brene Brown, yeah. The, the whole book is phenomenal, but in, in section two of that book, it talks a lot about values. And there's actually this really powerful values exercise that helps you narrow down to two. Mm. What are your two most important core values? And it actually challenges you to not just identify what those are, but really identify the values story that attached to that. And you and I talked about that yeah. actually this past week. And yeah. it was really powerful to, to watch you take something from a value standpoint that's near, very near and dear to you, but to attach it to something that happened to you when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got chills when you were telling me that. So it's when we were talking about that, it's unbelievably powerful when you know what your values are and you have a value story attached to that. And then as you're recruiting, as you're growing your organization, yeah. you share that value story with other people. Yeah. And the people... The people that are really going to do special things with you and the people you should work with are the people that it makes the hair on their arms stand up. They relate to the story. They have a story of their own maybe that is similar or they can at least relate to it. Or Or they go, oh my gosh, me too. Like that's scary. Like how similar that was to when I was, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. da, 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 right? And then you relate. Like there's a deep connection that happens when you share a common value story with someone. It's awesome. And then the second part of that is you got to first identify your values and purpose, but then you also got to sit down collaboratively with your organization, with your tribe. And maybe you've done this, but if you haven't done it in probably, I'd say two to three years or more, it's probably really healthy for you to revisit that because you've been growing and changing over the last two to three years. No one's static. That's right. Hopefully. Hopefully (laughs) your organization has been growing and changing over the last two to three years. And, And the people that you've been partnered with for the last two, they've been learning and growing. And so, 
maybe the values that you were all banded together around for the last several years have somewhat shifted and changed and it's time to actually reassess and reevaluate mm-hmm. that, right? So good. And it's hard work, right? Like yeah. again, this is probably not just a, oh yeah, I did it once and we're good. Yeah. It may take some more work or some more time than that. And then the last thing is, I kind of talked about this, assess the relationships and upgrade the relationships within the organization, right? Mm. So identify where you have a lot of dyadic relationships within the tribe yep. and start to form more triadic relationships, yep. more collaborative relationships with the people in your organization. Last thing, I'm going to kick it to you for final thoughts. Go pick up these other three books besides tribal leadership. Okay? Mm-hmm. Other books that are going to be really helpful on this topic, and these are books we think are pretty critical when somebody is moving into leadership within our organization. Tribal leadership is definitely a book that, that we recommend some of the other ones we recommend are Extreme Ownership yep, and Big Time. Dichotomy of Leadership, which is the follow-up book to that book. Those are both by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Yep. Don't, you can't read one without the other, though. Unbelievably good. Yeah, read Extreme Ownership first and then read Dichotomy of Leadership. Yeah. And then the other one we referenced, Oldie Buddy Goody, is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. Yeah, so good. Yeah, between Tribal Leadership and those other three 21 Irrefutable Laws— extreme ownership and dichotomy of leadership and then throw in dare to lead in there. That's a whole library. That's a five, you know, five books that uh, don't just read them, consume them and, and make them part of your world and part of your life and part of your organization. Yeah. And I guess uh, just closing thought from me, I think one of the biggest questions to grapple with that's worth grappling with, that'll have a profound impact on both your present and your future as you get to lead people and, and increase impact and influence people is the question, what do you want your culture to be? What do you want it to be? Do you want it to be stage three? Do you want it to be stage four? Grapple with that question. Do you want to go to stage five? Do you want to, do you want to touch into stage five? And like Rob said, that's the hardest one to stay in. Even the authors are going are gonna to pronounce that. But it's one hell of a journey and it's worth it. And so hopefully that's an inspiration and, and a challenge to you to advance and to actually discover new things about yourself and about your organization and, and increase your impact as you get to lead the people that you lead. Good stuff. <laughs>